Since our launch, we've been going through the book of Colossians. And uh, I don't know about you, I've said this before, but it has been working on, on my heart, probably more than anybody here, um, just being in this book every week, diving deep into the scriptures, into the context, into the history and the grammar, and looking at it to see what God has for us. For the last three weeks, uh, we have been looking at uh, focusing our eyes on uh, at the end of chapter 3, and uh, we've been learning much about how the gospel has the power to resurrect and restore our relationships within the church, within our families, within our households. Uh, we've learned much about the gospel, that, that it can resurrect our fallen relationship between husbands and wives, producing submission and love, um, learning that the gospel can also resurrect uh, the fallen relationship between parents and their children and fathers in their children as well, producing obedience, grace-induced, gospel-motivated, spirit-empowered obedience and encouragement. And then we see within this text at the end of chapter 3 something that seems so much strange to us, something peculiar within these household rules that Paul is teaching, especially when we read it within our modern context, the inclusion of slaves within the household. And so let's start by reading Colossians chapter 3, verses um, 8 or 18, and then into chapter 4, verses 1. Colossians 3, 18, into chapter 4, verses 1. So we're going to start back just looking at the family as well here. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And then bondservants, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through men, through chosen men, your Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures, wrote the scriptures sufficiently, inerrantly, full of truth for us today so that we can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation found in him and ongoing sanctification and looking forward to future glorification as we await the sons return. We thank you that your word teaches, that it admonishes, that it guides, that it encourages, that it equips us for the work of ministry. And so we thank you for this text today, although it seems strange in our context, something far off, something removed by thousands of years and, and across the planet. But Lord, we know that your word is always true, it always applies, it's always relevant. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text to us, teach us what you have for us, and guide us. We love you and thank you for your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so from reading this text, we can easily understand the Bible's teachings towards the family, right? It's pretty clear to us. Wives and husbands, children and parents, fathers and children within the household. But we see this Strange thing here, something very foreign to us and our context, something that almost seems contradictory to Scripture. We see the inclusion of slaves within the household rules. This is very strange to us. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? We do not have slaves in our households today. Is this, is this one of those texts that we just jump over and we say, well, you know, that was for that time. That's out of context today. It's irrelevant. In fact, it's old news. So we should just jump over that and move on to something new. Is that what we do with God's word? No, we don't. We treasure every word 
And we know that his spirit guides us and leads us. And there is things to teach us in here, principles from God's word in the context of slaves in the household that we need to learn. And so in order to understand this and apply God's word today in our lives, we're going to have to peel back a bit of an onion here of history for us to understand what's going on. And this should be strange. This should be very foreign to us, this idea of slaves within our homes. It's way out of our culture, way out of our our context. Uh, Any concept that we would have today of slavery, we often run back to the Americas and the slave trade and and, uh, even South Africa. Um, There is modern forms of slavery today, but in our Western culture, this this is just not here. It's just not a part of us. So the first thing we want to say is that uh, in the common household in Colossae, uh, this, is, this was written in about 62 AD, um, it was kind of a usual thing. It was a very common thing uh, to have families uh, with, with children, uh, not like the, the, the families we have today. Our, our average birth rate here in Canada, I think, is 1.6 children per home. Back then, you would have had many children. You would have had uh, many young children in the household. There would always, there was also, also be older children. There would be married adult children in the homes and their spouses. There would have been grandparents in their home. And then there would also be household slaves in the home. This was a very common thing. It was widespread through the Roman colonies. Slavery was a normal part of everyday life. It was, it was, in fact, a very integral part of the society and economy of that time. That would also mean, as Paul is writing here, as he's addressing slaves, that there would be slaves in the church. There would be owners of slaves in the church, and there would be slaves in the church. It seems very strange to us. Slavery was normal. Uh, first, it was really common within the, the society. Um, one historian suggests that nearly one-third of all the Colossian people in the city of Colossae would likely have been slaves. And that would mean that, uh, that many of the Colossian church members would have been slaves as well. Now, slaves at that time, you were often born into slavery. Uh, slavery at that time came about through military conquest or war, um, Slavery was not largely racially fueled. Um, Slavery knew of every different kind of person. As a military would come in, they would conquest the land and take people for themselves as slaves. And so it's a little different than what we would often think about today. There would also be very many different types and and positions and ranks within the slavery, from hard, hard laborers, salt mine workers, farm hands, building Roman roads, And then we have this also, a domestic slave, which is what Paul is talking about here. Domestic slaves within the home, from caretakers to child care workers to managers of estates, even business directors, even lawyers, even doctors were parts of the slavery at that time as well. So when you think of Paul addressing the conduct of slaves within the context of the household, let's not immediately think of the American South even though there would have been much brutality in slavery back then as well, especially outside of the household slavery, um, households would not have been perfect as well. There would have been brutality and injustice as well in the homes with these slaves. But for the most part, the slaves Paul is referring to in this context were domestic slaves. They were valuable workers in the home. Those who were integral to the part of the everyday home life. So when you hear the word slave in our text today, just think of a household servant. Yes, they're owned. Yes, they are not free. um, But it's not the hard laboring slave um, out in the salt mines. And so with that in mind, uh, because we don't have slavery in our context today, the closest way that we're going to apply this, because we don't have slaves in our home, and and the Bible does not condone Slavery. The closest way that we can apply this is how we work, our working relationships, places of work. This can also encompass how we work as students, right? 
how you serve a teacher, how you follow a teacher, how you would volunteer, how you would also serve in the church as well. Um, But most likely we will apply this most directly to our workplace because that's a majority of our life, the most uh, likely place to apply this. And so my proposal to you this morning by looking at Paul's clear commands here to the slave and master relationship and also vice versa, the master and slave relationship is that the gospel has the power to transform my relationship with work and with work people. It has the power to transform my work ethic. We're going to see some principles in here today that can speak to how we work. And so through our time together, we're going to see four principles for the workplace. Four principles for the workplace. How many people work here? Hands high. Yeah? I think everybody works here, right? Not here, but works in life, right? So four principles, four goals that we need to be striving for in the gospel, you know, but putting off of the old man and that putting on of the new, what we're reading here in Colossians. And out of these four goals, we're going to see three goals for Christian employees and one goal for Christian employers, you know, leaders and workers, that kind of context. And so the first principle we see in this slave-to-master relationship is this. When Christ is Lord... I'm the most honest worker. When Christ is Lord, I am the most honest worker. Verse 22, bondservants, slaves, obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So we see Paul here. Again, the the letter to The church of Colossae was written from prison, and he knows full well the reality of slaves in Roman society. He knows that there's slaves within the households of the church in Colossae, and he's writing to them, and he's addressing directly to them slaves as members of the church, those who would be sitting in the same congregation as their masters. And so just like last week, as we witnessed Paul instructing children valuing children as worthy of hearing from God's word, so these household slaves are also regarded as worthy, worthy of hearing God's word. They are valuable to Christ. They are members of his family. And so as every member of God's family would receive instructions, so the slaves are going to receive instructions. And Paul has this to say, slaves Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So like the child last week was to obey his parents in all things, so again we see here today that the slave is to obey in all things to his master, to be obedient at all times, wherever, whenever, in all ways. Again, we wouldn't obey in sin We wouldn't allow a master to lead us into sin or to lead us away from Christ. We don't obey like that, but we obey him in his good and rightful leadership. And so then Paul elaborates on what this obedience in everything is to look like by showing us two ways that it should not look like. So Paul says, obey in everything, and then he says this, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers but rather to obey in everything. So that's all things, all times, in every way. Not for eye service and not as people pleasers. Now I know many of you here this morning and I know what kind of work that you do. Some of you are carpenters. Some of you are engineers and electricians and social workers. We have some computer wizards, I like to call them. Uh, Retail Industrial, commercial, public service. Some of you work out of town. Some of you work in town. Some of you work downtown. Some of you work in the home, raising children. Yes, raising kids is work. All the moms will agree. Raising kids is probably the hardest job. And so there are many different occupations among us, right? The common, one of the most common things we all share in this world is that we all work. We have been designed to work. 
And work takes up a big chunk of our time. In fact, you just have to do a simple equation. Look at 40 hours a week, average working lifespan, and you're looking at about 100,000 hours spent working. And that's a very conservative number, especially for Alberta. So work is a big part of our lives, and it's a big deal to God. And God has something to teach us in regards to how we are to work. And he wants us, especially as Christians, to work differently. To be honest workers. Now, even though I do know many of you, I don't know what kind of a worker you are. I don't go to your jobs and and see you at work. I can't observe what kind of employee you are. Maybe you're the best employee that, that a boss could ever have. Or maybe you're just kind of getting by. Maybe you're just buying time. Maybe you just, you really don't like your job. You're just punching the card and you're looking for the next better opportunity. Perhaps you're tired of your job. Perhaps you are bored of your job. And then inside of that, maybe your work ethic is really lacking. Like the moment that you walk into the doors of the office, your energy is immediately sapped. And you just do the minimum to get by. Maybe instead of a worker, you're more of a seat warmer. You spend more time figuring out how to get out of work than the time it would take to actually get the job done. Maybe you procrastinate the hard stuff and you pass it off to someone else. You spend your time distracting yourself with your phone or or anything like that. Maybe checking your your online status on, on the computer at work. So you're there, but you're really not there. You're not really fulfilling the requirements and responsibilities that are on your job profile. You're not being upright. You're not being honest with your superiors until until your boss walks in the room, right? Your boss walks in the room. You minimize the Facebook off the screen. You start punching on the keys or hammering the nails You throw a little flower on your face. All of a sudden, you look really busy, right? You look really busy. Anyone ever do this? Anyone ever do this? I think we've all done this at some time or another. Maybe your whole crew looks like this that you work with. The boss pulls on sight and someone says, hey, guys, look busy. Boss is here. And as your boss walks up, you look like you're getting things done. Your boss asks how the morning has been, and yet you kind of make something up. Yeah, it's been great. And then you start to tell him how great of a boss he is, that you've been working really hard, and that your boss is so lucky to have an employee like you. And then you start to tell him, man, are you losing weight? You look really good. You get a haircut. Maybe this isn't you, but do you ever work with somebody like that? They drive you crazy. You know the guy that when the boss shows up, he just completely changes his character. We have names for those kind of people. Probably not some we should share here. Suck-ups, brown-nosers, other names as well. Well, Paul says when slaves do these things and when we do these things, we are being dishonest workers. And he says we're merely working for eye service. And we only really put out when someone is watching. And the reason that we do this is because we're people pleasers. We're trying to keep up appearances, trying to look like somebody we really aren't. Ultimately, we're just being hypocrites, right? So rather than being upright and honest workers, we are living a lie. Proverbs 12 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So I don't know where you are on this this spectrum. I'm here. I'm I'm guessing many of you guys are top workers. You guys are hard workers, and, and I trust that, but I'm sure at times we struggle. And I'm sure we can identify with this at times as as being people pleasers 
We long sometimes to be people that we really aren't, and it can be obvious in how we work, right? Paul says we're not to serve like this. This is not the character of a Christian. This is something we need to be putting off in the power of the Holy Spirit. Although, this may be your old way of operating, your old M.O. This is not the new way that's been purchased in Christ. This is not the new way to work. So as the gospel transforms our minds, our hearts, and our actions, we are to be different. We are free from that old man, that old way of operating. And Paul says, instead of being people pleasers, working for eye service, we are to be doing what? We are to be working with sincerity of heart. Why? Fearing the Lord. Sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So the sincerity of heart literally means being single-hearted. Not having a divided heart. It's undivided devotion. So it's more than just being upright. It's about having your heart fully engaged. Your whole being fully engaged to what you are doing. And so in the case of work, that would be towards what your boss asks, to what your teacher asks, or if you're in the military, what the sergeant asks. And ultimately, we are to have an undivided heart in service and work unto the Lord, fearing the Lord. Friends, the amount of our reverence for your eternal master is often revealed in the amount of reverence for your earthly master. So when you, when you revere Christ as Lord, when you revere him as preeminent and him as first and him as supreme, you can be the most honest person at your workplace. That should be your goal. I aim to be the most honest worker on my crew. Because in Christ, we can obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, and not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but how? With sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So when you think about how you work, your every day, your week in and out, would you say you were working with a sincere, undivided, wholehearted work ethic in your workplace? Goal number one for Christians is this. Christian workers, in any situation, when Christ is Lord, I am the most honest worker. I'm the most honest worker. So as we set out and we focus on Jesus as Lord, we will serve our earthly masters with utmost respect and honestly. And this is even emphasized stronger in this next section where we're going to learn goal number two. When Christ is Lord, I'm the most motivated worker. So honest worker, motivated worker. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So building off this, obey everything from verse 22, Paul now commands that these household slaves, in that whatever they do, they are to work heartily. That word heartily is for the Lord and not for men. So this word heartily is not the same word for heart in verse 22. This word heartily comes from the Greek word psyche which in Scripture is usually translated soul. So this encompasses the mind, the will, the conscience. Basically, psyche is the center of your being. It is your life. It is your soul. It is all that is within you, where you think, where you feel, and where you will. It's where decisions are made. It's the same sense in Mark 12, 30, where... Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's cardia, that's heart. And with all your soul, psyche. 
and with all your mind and with all your strength. Soul, life, center of being, all of you. So the reason Paul puts this here is to emphasize that slaves' obedience to their masters is more than mere behavior modification. It's more than just adjusting the outside. It's more than just whitewashing yourself, keeping up appearances. Paul wants to teach us here that true obedience for the Christian worker involves a transformed soul. The whole being of the person. The whole life within you. So not just outward behavior. Not just eye service like we already studied. Not to please men, but to please who? But to please the Lord. And I love this so much because we really need to get this as Christians. We really need to get this. As it is with any change that we are trying to pursue as a Christian. We need to pursue it with the full concept of the gospel, that true obedience to the Lord can only truly happen when your whole person, your whole heart and soul are transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ. We're not here to wash the outside. What did Jesus call the Pharisees? Whitewashed tombs. Dead on the inside, clean on the outside. That's not the point. We need to be transformed from the inside out. This is the gospel. God not only wants to save us from our sin, he wants to change us towards his righteousness. And so if you've been saved, the truth is that you have been saved eternally from the penalty of sin and death. But even more than that, on top of that, you are being transformed progressively While you're on this earth, you are slowly being transformed into the image of Christ until he returns. And so as we engage work with our whole heart and soul, we need to remember that our motivation is not of this world. Our motivation is not of this world. Paul says, for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are receiving the Lord Christ. I remember my days in the oil and gas industry. I worked for 17 years as an instrument technician. And I remember not wanting to go to work on some days. I remember having supervisors that were grumpy, supervisors that were terrible to work for, They were just downright horrible. I remember one time being called out to a gas plant to go and do some maintenance. And uh, and I knew the gas plant, and I knew the guy that was the supervisor there. And this guy was a gem in the negative sense. This guy was, was so hard to work for. So I remember driving out there that morning, picking up my parts, and just loathing the thought of going out to work for this guy. And so I pull up to the office and I open the door and I see him sitting at his desk, probably 15 feet from me. And I, and I, I say in my most chipper voice, good morning. And the guy just keeps his head down looking at his desk and doesn't say anything to me. And so I take my boots off and wait a little bit, stand there again. I say, good morning. And the guy will not look up at me. And so I just, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm not working for this guy today. I cannot put up with this today. So I slammed the door, got in my truck, and started driving back home, back to town. I was furious because I've worked for this guy before, and this is the same old experience over and over and over again. Have you guys ever worked for anybody like that? You ever worked for somebody that's just so hard to work for? Sometimes you just want to run away rather than to deal with them, right? Well, my response to that was completely sinful. It was completely sinful. It was so wrong for me as a Christian to just leave. I needed in that moment to remember that I was a Christian, that I was not ultimately working for this man, that I was there to work for the Lord. 
And that my, re- my reward is not in this man's praise or even in my paycheck. I needed to remember that in my serving, regardless of how difficult people can be, my motivation and my heart for working doesn't end with man. It ends with Jesus. He is my ultimate master. He is my ultimate Lord. And three times we see Paul here stressing the lordship of Christ. you see that? For the Lord, from the Lord, serving the Lord Christ. That word Lord can also be translated master. He's got a wordplay going on here. Jesus Christ is master three times, emphasizing this. He is our master. And so for these household slaves that Paul is addressing, he wants them to know that although they are not free, although they are still slaves, Although they may not like what they're doing and they may despise their earthly master, even for slaves, they can work with their whole heart and soul. Regardless of the situation, because their true and eternal master is in heaven. You're working for him. He is where your hope is to be found. He is where your joy is to be found. He is our motivation. He is our fuel to continue. When Christ is Lord, I can be the most motivated worker. So how about you? In your everyday work situation, in whatever you're doing, what is motivating you to continue? What is moving you along the rails in your job? What gets you up in the morning and gets you to work? Are you motivated by this world? Are you motivated by a paycheck? By a bonus, by a promotion, by the approval of man? Or are you not motivated at all? Maybe you have no motivation. And perhaps instead of being the most motivated worker, you are the least motivated worker. Maybe instead of being the first one in the door, you're the last one in the door. Instead of being diligent to get a project done, you're always late. Do you take longer breaks than you should? Do you spend too much time gabbing with your friends at work than you should? Do you take advantage of the perks of your job or your workplace? Do you cut corners? Or how about this? Are you just plain lazy? Are you just plain lazy? Proverbs 10, 4 to 5. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. You ever think of your attitude at work being that way, bringing shame unto the Lord and how you work? So friends, your your work ethic is a reflection of your perspective towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how are we doing at this? How are we doing at representing Christ in the workplace? How is Christ revealed through your work ethic? When you go to work, when you raise the kids, when you go to school. So what is your motivation? Are you working with all of your heart and all of your being, working with excellence for the one who is most excellent? Are you working towards the inheritance? The inheritance of seeing Jesus face to face. The inheritance that is in heaven, the ultimate reward of Christ, being in his presence, in his glory forever and ever. Remember Colossians 3, we've already studied this back in verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, we've got to remember, this is not our home. This is but a breeze. 
here today, gone tomorrow. We are working here as unto the Lord. Our mind should be set on him. Not looking for rewards here, but looking towards our reward that is in heaven. Jesus is your Lord. He is your master. He is your reward. And so worship him by working for him. When Christ is your Lord, you are the most motivated worker. So in the gospel, not only are you the most honest and you are the most motivated worker, in the gospel, you are also the most humble worker. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality. So although this household slavery would would generally be different than, than what we would readily understand, you know, in the, in the Americas and the 17th and 18th centuries. Although it's different, we don't want to romanticize this slavery. We don't want to make it something more than it was. Slavery was still rooted in evil. It is rooted in sin. God never made up slavery. It is a result of sin. And although these household slaves would have had it much better than than those working in the salt mines and building the Roman roads, there would still be many cases of injustice and abuse, neglect. There would have been harsh rule in some of these households. This is the human nature. But slavery at this time wasn't going anywhere. It was here to stay. It was here to stay for a long time. It's estimated that within the Roman Empire, there would have been up to 10 million slaves. We also have to remember that at that time, there was no liberal democracy, right? This was Roman rule, a Roman emperor in absolute control, absolute authoritarian society. Decisions were made from the top, and Christianity was so small at this time. It didn't have a ton of influence yet. Even though Christianity was was changing the world around it, it was a very tiny influence. And Paul, knowing all of this, knowing that slavery was sin, knowing that ultimately no man should own another man, he still calls the existing Christian slaves in the midst of this slavery to ultimately trust the Lord amidst the situation. And in that obedience, he called them to leave the justice to God. He says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So although it would be really tempting for a slave to retaliate against the wrongs that are done, against injustice, against harsh rule, Paul calls these Christian household servants to go against what their flesh would want to do, to do the right thing by leaving the repercussions of this sin to the Lord. So how much more ought we who are free, we who make money for our work, how much more ought we leave the justice to God? Romans 12, verses 17 to 19, says it very well, repay no one, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. So when we think about that and we think about our workplaces, We think that sometimes we want vengeance. Sometimes we want to get revenge. So how are you getting along with your boss? How's that relationship going? How about your fellow workers? What do you do when your boss doesn't give you the credit that you deserve? Or someone else takes the ideas that are yours and they make them their own? How do you react when you don't get that raise? Or if you're being shifted to a different department that you don't want to work in. Or you're not getting that project or that promotion that you desire. 
Does it lead you to grow bitter? Does it lead you to get angry? Does it lead you to gossip? Does it lead you to complaining? Does it lead you to grumbling? Does it lead you to divide? Does it lead you to bad work politics? Do you come home from work and do you stew over the issues that are, that are happening? Are you wanting justice for yourself? And are you going to get justice for yourself? Here again, the words given by Paul. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God is the just judge, and we are not. We need to leave the justice to him. He will repay evil. He will. Both now or in eternity. One commentator says, The force of this warning of reassurance is twofold. It encouraged harshly treated slaves that their masters could not escape due judgment in the final judgment, if not in this life. And it warned the slaves themselves to maintain their own high standards of integrity so far as possible. This is the humble path that is set before us in Jesus Christ, who taught us to turn the other cheek, to take the high road, to take the hard road, to take the higher path, to walk the way of integrity, to leave justice in the hands of God, to be the most humble person in your workplace. And so are you seeking justice here and now? Or are you seeking to follow in the humility of Jesus Christ? Christ modeled humility so perfectly. Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Think about this as you approach this, this feeling of injustice in the workplace or somebody else who's done you wrong. Think about this as you think about them. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As Christ lived, he was the most humble person to live. As Christ died, he was the most humble servant to die. So friends, when Christ is Lord, you can be the most humble person in your workplace. You can let things go. You don't have to fight back. You don't have to let these things bother you as much as they do. We have to remember that the Lord has his hands all over this, and he is in sovereign control. So even when we get wronged, we can show grace and love in the humility of Christ. And so if Paul believed the gospel was, was powerful enough to transform household slaves into obedient, honest, motivated, and humble workers, how much more can we obey in the workplace? Can we be honest in the workplace? Can we be motivated in the workplace? Can we be humble in the workplace? Friends, you and I represent Christ to the watching world. Our conduct is on display, and it speaks volumes as to the condition of our hearts. When you think of your workplace, do you ever think of, of, of God's sovereignty in bringing you to that workplace? That he brought you there as a shining light of the gospel to a world of darkness around you. God has a purpose for you at work. So remember, your purpose is to shine the light of Christ, to reflect his grace, to show his mercy to walk in humility, for he is the Lord. God will repay. Justice is coming. He will repay. And then Paul concludes his commands, these three commands for these slaves, and then he turns to the Christian masters in the congregation. 
And he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so the point here is this. When Christ is Lord, I'm the most gracious leader. When Christ is Lord, I'm the most gracious leader. So in this first century, masters would have absolute ownership over their slaves. They could do whatever they wanted to their slaves because the slaves were their property. And like I said, it wasn't uncommon for injustice to be done to these helpless people. But Paul, Paul wanted to remind these Christian masters in the congregation that if they are truly Christians, the way that they lead their servants, their slaves, has massive consequences. So not only do these slaves serve their earthly masters as unto heavenly masters, so too do earthly masters treat their slaves justly and fairly as unto their own heavenly master. Because the ultimate master is watching. So slaves and masters who are Christians, I love this, it's saying here that they are equal in God's eyes. As these masters and slaves were all members of God's church, they were all members of God's family, that means that they were all brothers and sisters in the Lord. So if you're a Christian employer, you're a leader, you're a teacher, you have authority over someone else in the workplace, remember the grace and the mercy of your own Lord and Master Jesus Christ towards you. We are to treat our people fairly. That means that we don't show favoritism. We reward faithful work. We pay our people well. We don't take advantage of them. We reward faithful work. We're also open to hearing from them, hearing of their needs and helping them, regarding them as equals. As if, if they are Christians, they are your brothers and they are your sisters in Christ Jesus. And Jesus sees no rank when it comes to the economy of heaven. And your leadership can either lead people towards the Lord or it can lead them away. Your position, think about your position as this in the workplace. If you are a leader in the workplace, you have a ministry of grace and mercy in that workplace. And so pray and live out the gospel in such a way with full justice and fairness that unbelieving employees will know that you are different than the rest of the world. You belong to a different kingdom. You belong to a different master. You represent, ultimately, the ultimate master in heaven, Jesus Christ himself. We can't forget that all this was made possible in the blood of Jesus Christ. Through his life, he who lived a lowly, despised life, the one who came to serve and not be served, the one who lived perfectly without sin, so that you and I can be free in him. So whether we are slaves or masters, whether we are employees or employers in Jesus Christ. We can remember Colossians 3.11. Just look up. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It's level ground at the cross. And I love 1 Corinthians 7.22. For he who has called, he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now slaves of righteousness. We are broken free from our slavery to bondage and sin and darkness and death, and we are set free to be slaves to the Master in heaven. It's because of Christ's life, his death, his burial and resurrection. You and I are made alive and set free from our own slavery. I don't know if you guys 
I know we all know the song Amazing Grace, but do you know about the guy who wrote that song? You know the backstory, John Newton. What you may not know is that John Newton was once a freedman, born a freedman in England, who became a slave. He then also became free, and then he also became a slave trader. Newton served on, on slave ships in the slave trade in the mid-1700s. But then he, then he began to read his Bible, and he heard the gospel, and he was saved, and he became a Christian. And as he started to read the Bible, he began to understand the sinfulness of slavery. As he's looking at the chains on the slaves, the the horrible injustices that are done to them, he began to have mercy on them. He began to become a just master. He then left the slave trade, and he became an Anglican minister. And he also played a key role, along with William Wilberforce, in abolishing the British slave trade in 1807. And then for the rest of his life, over and over again, he confessed his sorrow for ever enslaving men. Friends, this is the power of the gospel. It can, it can change a slave trader into an abolitionist. The gospel can transform us as we lead others, as we follow others, as we work for others. When Christ is Lord, you can be the most gracious leader. So the gospel has the power to transform my work ethic. I can now be the most honest worker. I can now be the most motivated worker. I can now be the most humble worker. And if I'm leading, I can be the most gracious leader, all to the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we, uh, as we read this and, and, and we see this, uh, we see the slave, slavery at this time, and, and even though it boggles our mind as it's so far removed from us, we do see, Lord, that you have principles to teach us. And Lord, we pray that those principles would be applied deeply. We pray that what we have learned um, would shine a light in our heart and convict us of ways that, that we have not been working for you. Help us in our workplaces to be shining lights for the world around us. Help us to be different in the eyes of the world. That we are honest workers. That we are workers who, who seek you as our master that are motivated by you and what you have for us in eternity. And we pray for the humility of Christ. None of this is possible apart from the humility of Christ. And Lord, we thank you that at the cross, when he died for us, you gave us his righteousness, his perfect life, applied to our account, and that you declared us righteous, We who are so undeserving of grace. We who are sinners deserving of eternal punishment. You shone grace and mercy towards us. And you gave us his righteousness. And you freed us from our bondage of sin. And you set us free to be slaves to Jesus Christ. Help us today to understand this and apply this as we go to work on Monday morning. As we go to serve. Help us to shine like Christ in the workplace. And we ask this in the strength of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.